hello and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast. This is episode 60 and I'm your host for the original podcast to talk to former cricketers about their lives, careers and experiences since finishing playing the great game of cricket. Tonight sees us talk to a player whose career was tragically ended by a car crash which also claimed the life of his father. Prior to that he was part of the Derbyshire side that won the County Championship Division 2 title in 2012 a county he represented for 10 years, over 117 matches. So to hear about that and how he's gone from strength to strength in the world of business since that fateful day, join me as we welcome Tom Poynton back to the pavilion. Quite a unique way in which I finished, you know, and, and the, the, the 2014 was really obviously the, the start of what happened and, and um, the tragic accident, you know, you can't plan or legislate for any, you know, anything like that. Literally, you know, we turned a corner and, and um, you know, prior to that corner, I was a professional cricketer embarking on a new season in a good place, had a good winter. Um, myself and Richard Johnson were, you know, battling it out, you know, top guy. And, and um, he'd actually got the gloves. It was media day on that day. And um, I found out that I wasn't playing the next day. So I was pretty disappointed. And that obviously that was why, you know, reason f- for going home, um, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, when we turned that corner, you know, my world was eff- effectively smashed to, to smithereens, I suppose, in some ways, you know, I lost my father and I lost essentially, you know, my career that I worked all my life for and, and was a dream job, you know, and, and um, yeah, and, and, you know, thereafter there's a, there's a whirlwind what that, that, that happens and, and well, from a cricketing point of view, you know, I tried to, get back to playing you know I had a phenomenal support um you know from a sports medicine point point of view even from the next day and obviously being the injury was in my ankle um and even the next day it was obviously really blown up my ankle had got trapped in the car um and the center consult would come and 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 displace my way and my ankle had been trapped and um I managed to get out you know get out the car um and jump you know jumped out and and so I knew something had happened with it, but it, for the days after, you know, I was walking around and I was never going to have a scan because I, I was never going to tell what damage was done. So as things sort of settled down, you know, I was then going for an MRI scan to, to see what had happened. Uh, and I can remember going to get the results for that uh, and thinking, you know, okay, you know, with what happened, it was horrific and, and everybody was just trying to manage me to, you know, keep some blinkers on to give me a, a path to sort of recovery. Um, you know, and keep things moving forward. And, you know, I walked in, saw the, saw the surgeon or the consultant and he said, you know, you're going to be out for nine months. <laughs> you know, and I was sort of, I was sat there thinking, have I just heard that right? You know, nine months, you know, not, not nine weeks or six weeks or whatever, you know, and, and he, you know, he said, no, you know, you're going to be nine months, you, you, you know, and you've got a 70% chance of, um, you know, success in terms of the operation that you're going to have. Um, you know, basically, you know, I didn't have my, my ankle collided in the accident and I had no cartilage on the bottom of my, my shin bone. Um, so I had a procedure to try and rectify that. And obviously, you know, nine months of, of rehab thereafter to, to get me to get me back fit, really. Um, and I suppose it was, you know, I was never thinking that I was going not going to play thereafter, effectively. You know, it was never in my mind that I couldn't do it. Um, I think occupationally and the, the struggles that I was having with my ankle restrictions, you know, ultimately was what ended my career in 2016. And, and I think, you know, whilst I was throwing my absolute all into it, um, 
I think by the end I was, you know, on the verge of being mentally broken and, and emotionally broken for the fact that physically I was sort of suboptimal, you know, and I was trying to make up, I was trying to make up for that, um, you know, by those other two elements, you know, I was never sort of a naturally talented player like Redders was, you know, we talked, we talked about who was a bit more flair or gal like, like you talked about. I was a workman type player who really had to train and apply himself to get the, the most out of, um, you know, my skill effectively. And, um, you know, when, when that had come, you know, when that level had come back, I just couldn't make it up, you know, as much as I was willing myself to do it, um, I just couldn't make it up. And I think when, when I took a step back, um, you know, and I was told that I wasn't going to play anymore because, you know, effectively I, I occupationally can't, you know, I had restrictions in my ankle that were effectively making me, I think the term is what, you know, occupationally disabled, you know, I couldn't fulfill what my job was a wicketkeeper. I couldn't bend in my ankle, um, you know, so I could not fulfill my role effectively. And, um, and I think thereafter then when, you know, things started to set, you know, set in, um, I realised actually how much of a struggle it probably was and, and how much it was taken out of me personally, you know, to, to be out there playing, you know, as, as, as sad as that was. And it's difficult for me to think about life before my ankle, actually, now. You know, I can't really think about my body um, before having the accident, which in some ways I think is sad, you know, I think, I think it's, it's sad because I was an athlete, you know, I was an athlete. I was very, you know, I was quite fit and on the fitness testing, you know, I was, I was quite a rounded athlete. And fortunately, I just can't think of my body being like that anymore. I suppose it's a sign of age possibly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, you know, so that's, you know, that is a bit sad, but, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't legislate for what happened and that was ultimately, you know, what, what brought my, you know, what brought my career to an end. Was it important to you to come back for that at, from the injury, you know, with everything that gone on, you know, the, the sad past of your father in that accident, was it important for you to get back to, to prove that you could get back or was it just your job? As, as I said, I just didn't think I considered anything else. You know, I, yes, I had issues with my ankle, but, you know, again, I went to the fitness testing, I was having all these markers, you know, and I was still competing on that level. Um, you know, was I having pain? Yeah, I was having significant pain. I can remember the first game that I played that I came back was on the tour to Abu Dhabi and we played at the Sheikh Zayed. Uh, you know, amazing stadium, beautiful weather, and and but it's a sand-based um, ground, uh, and you know that that surf, those type of surfaces always used to take more out of your you know your legs and used to be far more demanding. And I, I remember I did fifty overs, you know, came out of it fine. I scored a few runs. You know, I was thinking, God, you know, I've competed all right there. I've got through fifty overs. I woke up the next day, and you know, Jamie Pipe, who was a physio, always used to we always used to use a scale, you know, with injuries, you know, one to ten, ten being you know, unbearable or whatever. And, you know, and when I woke up that day and I walked down the car and I was probably a seven or eight, you know, and I thought, okay, it's the first game back, you know, it's, you know, it's going to settle down. I've put massive load through my ankle that I haven't done before, you know, since the accident, um, you know, and there was definitely an element of that. Um, but, you know, the, the pain that I was suffering in my ankle and it just became part and parcel of the job, you know. But over a period of over a period of time, it becomes, you know, it, it does become wearing, you know. But the only real time that you go out for a cricket field, one hundred percent fit, is probably the first hour of the first session of the first game, you know. And thereafter, you're nursing your body, whether it be fingers for me, or you know, hamstrings, or knocks, or niggles, or whatever it is. That's what you're, 
you know, you're nursing from that point in time. So there is an element of you just sucking it up and doing that. But I think ultimately why I had to finish because it was fundamentally affecting my performance and, and I couldn't move. And Kent became that game. It was my final game when I walked off and uh, I dropped Joe Denley, um, you know, pretty regulation chance, but I dropped it because I couldn't move my right leg. Uh, it was like somebody had put my right leg on the ground and knocked it in like a peg um, because I had no, you know, I had no, mobility in it and you know thereafter you know I, pro I probably knew something was going to have to give one way or the other um and you know that's then when I went to see the, the consultant again who'd done my operation you know and he said you know, can either re-break your ankle and do the full works or whatever or you know or, or you just, with no guarantees of it being any better or you're just done you know and you know I think it's probably at that point I you know I knew I was either at breaking point one way or the other um but like I say, it's always difficult when somebody, you know, when somebody tells you that that fate and, and thereafter the reality of what that means sort of, you know, sort of sets in. Do you remember that feeling when when he said pretty much you're done? Was it, I would imagine, quite a, a difficult thing to hear? Was it what effect did it have on you? I don't th I, th I think at that point, it, you know, it, it didn't really, um, you know, I had a career ending injury. So, you know, there was a it then opened up, you know, insurance elements and things like that, you know, because my career was cut short by injury, um, you know, so there was, there was that side of things. Um, but I don't think the reality of it set in until, you know, the dust settles and you wake up on that day, you know, um, thinking, okay, well, what's my routine, you know, what's my routine today, you know, and, and I've always been a very disciplined person, um, you know, and it's that identity, you know, there is a bit of, you know, that identity thing that we talk, you know, that we've, that we've talked about. Um, but it's definitely sort of that routine, you know, you, you, you're not really in a similar situation to anybody else. You know, my friends that were in cricket and the changing room was continuing to do that. And, and my friends that have been outside of sport had gone into university and were 10 years into a profession and had got a footing there, you know, and I was sort of in the middle, um, you know, I'd not, uh, whilst I thought about life after cricket I think my career was probably cut short a bit sooner than I anticipated it, it being so I wasn't as prepared um, but there was definitely you know it was that it was that routine um, you know because you've always got a set routine whether it be the gym whether you know and, you, and you've you've got to create that for yourself again and and you know I've spoke to a lot of other guys who, who equally found it difficult and I was going to I wanted to um obviously move into my career that I'm in now, um, financial advice and investment management. And, you know, I was having to set about learning um, qualifications for that, you know, to give me something tangible effectively, you know, and in my mind, I thought, right, I'm going to set my alarm. I'm going to get up at sort of, you know, eight or nine o'clock, you know, I'm going to go to my own university effectively. I've, I've got the resources from, you know, CISI, who's at my charter body. And, you know, I'm basically going to, do my own university two hours in the morning I'll have some lunch and two hours in the afternoon and 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 the reality just wasn't that you know for somebody who's been self-disciplined all my life time management has been a critical part um of going to school being in the academy I was an academic as well as a sportsman you know and, and so I'd always tried to balance that to um that work side um and learning side when I was younger and I thought I was going to apply it as I was older and it just wasn't, you know, and I'd never experienced equally not having sort of the, the gumption or the, um, you know, the, the energy to, you know, to do that and commit to it on that level. And then, and then you can become harsh on yourself, you know, say, well, you, 
you know, you, you can't get up and do it. And it becomes a bit of a vicious circle if you're not careful. Um, and, uh, you know, it, for me, I'm just a one step in front of the other type of guy, really. You know, that's it. Just whatever the progress is or however you go about it, as long as you can try and put one step in front of the other, you know, you, you, you know, I'm sure you'll come up with a solution or a way and means by which you can, you know, achieve what you want to. And, and, and I did that. I found a few more resources relevant to my course, um, some sort of video lectures and some sort of online learning environment, which mixed it up a little bit. And that made things, you know, far more, far more palatable. And, and, you know, I passed all my exams. I had to take four exams. I passed them first time, um, you know, and I'm as proud of those achievements, you know, in isolation as I am anything I achieved in cricket. So. You said that you're not done. You'd done some thinking about life after cricket. How, what had that entailed for you? How much thinking, planning, preparation had you done thinking about the future? You know, I'm done. I've done a lot with the PCA, and I'm a massive fan and advocate of the PCA and the work that they do. Um, I won a personal scholarship award with them. You know, after I finished, and um, they do. You know, they do an amazing job. Um, but I'd not whilst I'd thought about the areas that I was interested in, I'd not got anything tangible. I'd not got a qualification that I could fall back on straight away that was, I was going to be recognised or, um, you know, and, and I found, you know, with their help or whatever, I found the route that I was going to take in order to, to achieve what, you know, what I wanted to. Um, but yeah, you know, I've done a few bits of work experience and things like that, but during, not really during my career, um, you know, and that's something that I advocate to a, all the players now because there is so much time you know once you get home and you think god i'm tired now after we've done a you know fitness session and you know it can be quite demand you know it can be quite demanding in that sense and you're throwing your all into it but there is so much time that you can use to give you comfort and confidence uh, for when you finish your playing days and something that you know that you can fall back on um you know, and I help some guys now, you know, Harvey Hussain, who was my understudy, you know, I help, we, you know, obviously we've set up a new business now and, and you know, the pandemic last year was a really unique opportunity in some ways is what, you know, is the way that we tried to, to spin it, that some, they could have that time, you know, you couldn't play cricket, you know, that, which is, is as sad as it sounds for both the players and the fans or whatever, you know, but you've got a u- unique opportunity in the middle of your career actually to say, right, you know, let's make use of it and gain something. And Harvey, you know, did a, an investment management qual- certificate qualification uh, and did both units and, you know, has got a base level qualification that could stand up in the industry now, you know, and, and we, you know, I tried to impart on him, you know, the, you know, the benefit of doing that now. And I think it's given him confidence and perhaps helps him in, in playing in, you know, his cricket now, really. Um, and it's important to have those other passions, really. you know, it's important to have those, other passions and uh, interests and the only way that you find out whether you actually enjoy something I think is if you expose yourself to the different environments you know I think you can read in books or listen to lectures they're in isolation I think you've got to get into a working environment you know whether it be a you know an office environment to actually think you know can I do this on a daily basis having spent all my working life stood in a field effectively you know, working with your hands and being quite, quite practical, you know, could I sit at a desk, desk every day and work on spreadsheets or do I need to be in an office? Uh, do I need to be in a, in a um, another environment where I'm creative or I'm using my hands or in a trade? And I think you only really learn that if you, if you actually throw yourself into an environment and the PCR are amazing for facilitating that, but you can lead a horse to water, 
you know, as much as they do, you know, and they'll facilitate anything and everything. But ultimately, the player's got to take the initiative and ownership to, you know, actually want to do something on their own, you know, behalf for, you know, for their future, their future career. You mentioned that, you know, trying different things and having work experience. When you're out, in, when you're out injured in 2015, doing your rehab, the Derbyshire Cricket Club gave you a, a, an off-field role as well. Um, that was the summer that we had the, the Indians coming over to play a test, uh, not a test, well, the test series, and they played at Derbyshire. How, how important was that for you to, A, as, as work experience, but also sort of with your rehab and your, your own sort of mental state in that, block of time when you were, were rehabbing was that was that you how useful was it for you yeah I think it was I think it was critical really at that point in time and, and I'm you know forever grateful for some of the individuals that you know went the extra mile for me really I mean Tom Holcroft at the time um, who had a role at Derby is now at, at Nottingham um, you know lived not that close to me but obviously I was on crutches um, you know with, the, with an ankle I wasn't in a cast but I couldn't do anything on my ankle um, so he picked me up, you know, every morning, went out of his way, picked me up at 6.30 in the morning, you know, and we got into in, into Derby early, you know, needed that every day until I could drive again. And, and you know, that's, I'm forever grateful for, for, for him doing that. And um, it snowballed into, into so much, you know, I didn't have any experience in the areas that I ended up, you know, with where the role ended up taking me. Um, but, you know, if I approach anything, if I'm given a task, I, you know, I apply myself in uh, in an absolute way. You know, I think, well, how can I best achieve this task and with the skill sets that, that I've got and, and how would I like it executing myself if I was sat the other side? That's normally how I, how I approach it. And it was just it was just amazing. You know, I was tasked with um, creating sort of the Cricket India Club. You know, it was, it was to drum up for the city. Um, you know, sort of these social, not social barriers, but the, there were definitely sort of barriers between the South Asian community and, and cricket. And I think there were some stereotypes of it being a bit elitist. Um, and, you know, actually once we got into the community, it was, you know, it was amazing. And, and it snowballed into so much for the club. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that the media centre uh, and how it came about, you know, was, was, was started, you know, through those initiatives and, you know, it's great to see some of the guys, you know, the guys there. And we hosted a dinner uh, for about 350 people. We had some amazing dignitaries there. Um, people from the High Commission of India in London. Uh, we had local MPs. Um, we have Ravi Shastri, who was the guest speaker, who's obviously the Indian coach now. Um, we got in, you know, some of the best Indian caterers, um, you know, to put food on. And, and it was, you know, it was an amazing celebration uh, and then the Indians came and I was sort of charged with looking after you know the Indians while they were here and making sure they're okay and that would, in itself was a you know a very funny experience and you know these guys are you know they're worshipped by a billion people you know the demigods effectively A-list type celebrities and and um, they were stopping at Bredsall Priory and, and you know Virat Kohli posted a, a Twitter a, f a photo from the 18th green you know it went to 54, 50 million people or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, it's amazing what that does, for, you know, for the city and cricket had done that, you know, Derbyshire had done that in terms of hosting it. No doubt there's a quid pro quo in terms of, you know, touring teams coming over and relationship with the ECB, but, you know, in terms of the city, they're one of the, you know, the, the biggest teams in the world come in here and, you know, the, the, there's a strong South Asian community. Um, 
and we wanted to bring them down to Derbyshire. You know, they're on the doorstep. You know, a lot of them sat in their armchairs and watched the IPL, and and um, but they weren't coming to the county ground. You know, why weren't they coming to the county ground? And and we brought together a, um, a handful of sort of community leaders, and you know, it was it just snowballed into into something into something great. And I can remember getting a, a call from. Um, the owner of Anoki, because we got Anoki to come in, which is a very reputable, fantastic Indian restaurant for those locally, um, to cater for for the whole duration. And um, the Indians were loving the food, you know, to, to Anoki's credit. And they were stopping at Bredsel, and I got a call from from the owner Nav um, one night and said, um, "MS Doni's just ordered about 250 quid of 250 pounds of takeaway, and he doesn't, he's got no money to pay for it, you know." just expecting it for free or whatever so I was you know I said look just 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 give it to him you know and we'll, and we'll sort it out from there and um and I had people you know I had some of the support staff who were coming and saying you know can can you get me a, a spice grinder from Argo you know get, can you get me a spice grinder something like you know a rice cooker you know because some of them wanted to cook more authentic food so that every day as it started as the day went on days went on um these guys were coming up to me and, and um, so I was having to go to Argos and get some of the girls at the front desk to say, look, can you get down to Argos? I've just reserved a, a spice grinder or whatever. And, and to be fair, they were bloat, you know, they were really appreciative and it, we struck up, you know, quite a, a good relationship. And, and at the end, um, they presented me with a BCCI tie, which, you know, is, is quite an honor. And, um, and I got a side, you know, uh, Donny signed me a, a shirt and it was, you know, my shirt, which was, you know, which was great as well. And um, yeah, and thereafter we got, um, I got an invite to the high commission, the, the high commissioners in uh, of India in London. Um, so just before the, the test at Lords, uh, or one must have been one of the London tests, um, myself, uh, chairman at the time, Chris Grant, and Derby, Mayor, Paul Pegg, um, we got invited to, to this event and we were the only, you know, we were the only sort of um, other county there for sure. But there was, there was a representative from the MCC, you know, and, and other than that, it was, you know, it was the Indian team and it was, it was all the Indian entourage really. And obviously when you're at the Indian embassy, you're on Indian soil, you're not on, <laughs> is it Kensington Palace Gardens, you know, on the most expensive street in, in the country. And, um, you know, you've got Lakshmi Mittal, the, um, steel magnate, you know, billionaire who's in the garden or whatever, and and the, the Derby sort of contingent, and um, and it's at that event that we saw Chitesh Pajara and you know we said, you know, would you be interested in playing county cricket? Um, you're not involved in the IPL, um, and that's and that's what the the snowball for for that you know was. So all these type, all these different events, you know, and. and reaching out to the community and breaking those barriers down and creating the India club and, and all the things that we ended up doing, it improved the relationship that we have with the council at the time. Um, you know, historically, you know, that it wasn't the best relation, you know, that we didn't have the best relationship with the council um, and, you know, opening up those, you know, the, the communities and, you know, cricket is such a uniting game and it, you know, reduces the barriers. But as I said, there was, you know why? Why wasn't Derby? You know, um, those guys or those communities coming to support the Derby? You know, when they're when they're at home, sat there consuming cricket all day long. You know, and, and I think we, you know, we did change some of that. So, 
you've got you went from that and you, you got back to play and then then you had to retire. You, you've gone in. You mentioned you, you're now in investment and financial management. Was that something that you always knew you wanted to go into, or did you fall into it, or was that what you'd been planning to do? Uh, not really. I, I think um, I'd sort of been mentored. I mean, I met Chris, obviously the chairman, um, when I was at Swarkston before Chris was involved at, at, at Derbyshire at all. And um, he was looking for a pro to to sign up to help improve Swarkston's fortunes. I think he rang John Morris. I was a second, you know, second team keeper at the time. Luke Sutton was captain, so I wasn't going to play much. And you know, a bit of a quick pro pro. Chris said, you know, I'll help you with your finances and, and help you with some sort of financial literacy and personal finance and, um, you know, continued to do that for a period of time. And, and my father was a business owner in Burton on Trent. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, he worked there for 40 years, starting off as an apprentice welder and, and ultimately had a you know, management buyout and, and became a shareholder in the company and, and never got to, you know, realize that that entrepreneur's dream really, you know, which is bitter, you know, is bittersweet, but that company was sold, um, which changed the fortunes of, of, of the family. And all of a sudden you've got financial advisors and investment managers knocking on, knocking on the door saying, you know, can I, can I look after that money or whatever? And, and yeah, so, you know, Chris, I continued to, um, you know, be involved on either, you know, Chris continued to mentor me on that side of things. And, you know, we said, well, why don't, you know, why don't we, um, you know, go about setting up our own business. You know, Chris had been successful in the city and retired. Lots of people locally were asking him about, you know, um, how he managed his own money and he'd done it very successfully. And and um, we used to go around to um, personal finance, you know, seminars and, and and things like that. And that's ultimately where we met, you know, the Baron in Baron and Grant, which is the, you know, the investment management business now. And uh, John is a, you know, he's an industry leading expert um, in the field that we specialize in, um, which is um, investment trusts. And we came together and cricket played a part in that equally. Um, we went to, he was a keynote speaker at um, an investors chronicle seminar, which is a personal finance magazine. And, and at the end of the, at the seminar, everybody's on a glass of wine and I was probably the young, youngest in the room. Uh, and so, you know, we, we struck up a conversation and we said, well, you know, we, we followed John and, and some of the things that he did and he was interested in cricket. So we went to the test match, uh, the Ashes, and um, that's basically, you know, the, where the idea for, for forming the business with, you know, with John came from equally, um, you know, which, which again was great. And cricket's played a, a huge part in everybody I've met in business loves cricket. They don't want to talk to me about business. They want to talk to me about cricket anecdotes, stories, you know, good times, bad times. And, you know, and I think there's a, you know, there's a trusting element. When you've been a sportsman, I think people have an admiration. Many, many have a dream of, of doing it and achieving it. And, you know, I've been lucky to meet, you know, FTSE 100 chief executives that, you know, have literally said I would give my right arm to a play cricket. You know, I met a wonderful gentleman called Richard Cousins, who was, the chief, who was the chief executive of Compass at the time. Unfortunately, had a he had a tragic accident um, a few years ago on New Year's Eve and they had a plane crash and, and lost his whole, his, his entire family, which was, tr you know, really tragic. And I sat with him at Chesterfield um, when Derbyshire were playing Yorkshire and he travelled especially, he was a Yorkshireman and he travelled especially um, 
to, to come and watch. And um, I sat with him all day. You know, he was a he's a grandly one of the best chief FTSE 100 chief executives that this country, you know, one of, this country has seen. And um, I'm I'm sure he would have had some involvement in cricket. You know, knowing how much he loved cricket. And I sat with him all. You know, I sat with him all day. You know, and that's literally what he was saying. We were at Queens Park. You know, one of the most picturesque backdrops in cricket. And he, you know, he said, you know what, I would literally give everything that I've got to play cricket out there. You know, and you sat next to a, you know, a, a, an absolute don in, you know, in business, as it were, uh, and you know that was all that type of stuff was, you know, is incredibly sobering when you were a cricketer to make the most of it and, you know, really squeeze out every moment that you, that you can, and um, you know, it's um, it, that can easily get lost, you know, when when you the hobbies become a profession and then your mortgage payments reliant on it and you know, those type of pressures come um, that you can lose sort of that enjoyment and, and why everybody else comes to watch the game effectively. Uh, you know, you can often walk, walk out there resenting the game or but you can, you lose that sort of enjoyment and spark, you know, spark of it really. Do you still go and watch now? Do you, are you involved? I mean, can you still play at any level? Are you still able to, to walk out there on a Sunday afternoon and friendly, or is it just purely watching cricket for you now? I, I play a handful of games. So I, I tried to come back and play, um, but my injuries on my right ankle, which means, but unfortunately that means now I'm having issues all on the left-hand side of my body um, because my left-hand side is overcompensating for you know, what I can't put through my right-hand side really. So, I started to play again and I kept tearing my left hamstring. So um, I did it about three times and then you realise you've not got the support network that you once had. You know, you've not got the game-ready machine that you, you strap into like some sort of X-Men or something like that. And um, and you're going home to a bag of uh, a bag of peas to put on it. You know, it doesn't quite, have the, doesn't quite have the same impact and you know that you're going to be sat at your desk, you know, and you try and stand up and, and you're not going to be able to get up for the next you know, the next few weeks. And that happened a, a few times. Um, I just thought, you know what, I, I, you know, I just can't, I can't deal with that. Um, so, I, you know, I've played some golf now. So I, I, I changed that sort of energy and put it into a bit of golf. And and um, I really, I really enjoyed it. And you've got the skill mastery element with golf. You know, you're trying to get your handicap down and you can improve, you know, your play is extremely frustrating. All cricketers tend to have a big slice or whatever. And going down to third man. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's such a wonderful, you know, such a wonderful game, uh, and I, I love, you know, the level playing field that it creates. You know, you could play Rory McIlroy on this, you know, regardless of he's him being a pro and you being off twenty eight or whatever. And you know, there's a lot of other guys that are connected with. I played a lot with James Taylor, who obviously had had, um, you know, his, um, you know, struggles as it were with his with his condition that cut his career short. Um, you know, and it's. Um, yeah, so that that was an outlet that side, and I play it. I, I only play a handful now. I've got a game coming up in less than a month, and I can feel my hamstring tightening already before I even go for the Repton Pilgrims. So I, I help captain that. We play in one competition a year, Cricket's Cup. So I'll, I'll see how we get on. I might have to go for a net just to see if I've got any muscle memory left. Um, but I'm just the dirty slogger these days. You mentioned golf. What have you? What What have you got your hand, handicap down to? Oh, I think I'm officially 19, but I mean, I can't play. I, I, I haven't been able to play now. I think I'll, my golf membership will probably end up costing me about 300 quid a round. But, uh, 
but no, you know, and it's good, you know, it's good corporately with some clients. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of our clients like to play and they also like to play an ex-professional sportsman when I'm hitting it all over the shop and they can bunt it up the, bunt it up the fairway and <laughs> knock another one in and chip and put for a, for a par and, and, and rib me about being an ex-professional sportsman and, 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 and losing. But, um, but no, it's a great game and, and I suppose I've, you know, put some energy towards that, but I still support uh, Swarkston locally as the club I'm still associated with. Uh, and I'm passionate about cricket administration, to be fair now. You know, I, I sit on the executive committee for Swarkston. Uh, I sit on the executive committee for the Derbyshire Cricket Leagues. Um, and I've sat on there for about three or four years now. And um, I was passionate about uh, the format that we were playing on a, on a Saturday, which is... <laughs> We, we still play win, lose, draw cricket. And um, I just thought that was, my personal view was I thought that was a bit outdated. And, and, and so I wanted to, you know, go about the process of, of putting it on the table for people to vote on. Every time we were going to a game at a weekend, everybody said, oh, you know, got a losing draw. I'm going to go home to my missus tonight who, you know, has been run riot by the kids all day and say, oh, did you get on, love? Yeah, well, I got, you know. 15 not out, took a wicket, dropped a catch, and we got a losing draw, you know. <laughs> and and um, so, you know, I, I, I was passionate about, you know, sharing that view and seeing where, see, you know, seeing where it ended up. And it's been a great, you know, it's been a great experience. And to see the volunteers that, given, that have given their life, really, you know, to maintain a framework and structure which allows thousands and thousands of people up and down the country to play cricket. And, and it's a phenomenal task now, you know, in this ever sort of regulatory and litigious world of, you know, that, that we live in. It's not an insignificant task for, for volunteers to, to administer it. And, you know, the Derbyshire County Cricket League uh, committee do a, a fantastic job. Um, I don't think they've always got the best PR, which I don't think is helped by themselves, really. And I think it, people think that, you know, they're running the show and it's, and it's really not like that. People have got to engage if they want to change and they've got to give the time and energy to, you know, to go about the processes in the right way. And, and you know, which has been great because, you know, I'm passionate about, you know, the, the younger lads coming through now and continuing to create a platform, you know, for, for guys to come through uh, in the league. So. And if Derbyshire County Cricket Club came knocking and said, Tom, would like you on our board of uh, non-executive directors to come and work with our finance, would that be uh, a job that you'd snap the hands off? Yeah, I, I don't think probably at this stage. I mean, I talked about, I talked about putting my hat in the ring for it quite early on, to be fair. Um, but I've got enough on my plate, really. You know, that's the, that's the thing. Um, you know, there was a cricket advisory director role, which I know uh, Colin Tonycliffe has done for a while. Kevin Dean did before that. Um, and, I, you know, I talked about it um, to a few individuals. Um, but, yeah, you know, that you, you've got to be careful about where you commit. You can't commit to everything. And I think you know, at the time I've done, I've, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now. The business is, you know, is doing fantastically well. Uh, and I'm excited for the growth of that. We only launched in in... Uh, the 4th of January after a long period of time. So, um, you know, I'm throwing all my energy into that. I do what I can for, for Swarkston and, and, you know, I'd set on the county league stuff and do my reps and stuff really. Um, you know, but I'll, I definitely, I'll definitely go back to Derbyshire. I think if I didn't do the investment management, I would have stayed at Derbyshire in the role, you know, they offer, there was talk of, of me having a role at Derbyshire if I wanted it sort of a partnerships manager building on what, you know, what the role that I had, which was, you know, which was great. Um, but I want, 
I knew I would always be dictated to by the same schedule. And I knew that it was probably twice as hard working off the field as it was working on the field. Um, you know, and that was perspective, a really important perspective, actually going back to the role that I had. It was the passion uh, that people had behind the scenes and how much they cared and how much the performance meant to their job uh, and how it made life easy for them. And, and um you know, just really how passionate they were about how the lads did and the way in which they followed it. And, and I know in certain terms relayed that to the guys to say, look, you think you've got it hard turning up at 11 o'clock to hit a few balls and then go out and play, you know, but these guys are here from 7.30 in the morning. They're going to be here till 11 o'clock at night mopping up after you to, you know, to, to keep the whole engine running for Derbyshire. You know, everybody who's involved at Derbyshire, you know, is, is representing really and all the cogs need to work you know, to, to deliver. And that, and that was a hugely uh, important element of it, whether you were, you know, a cleaner or whether you were, you know, the chief executive. And, um, and I worked on, I worked with Ryan, um, who was the commercial director at the time. And, I, you know, I had a really good relationship with Simon equally. And, and you know, Simon's at Kent now and, and Ryan is just a, the right man. He's a top guy. Um, you know, I think extremely highly of him. Um, and yeah, I would, I would have endeavoured to probably follow Ryan effectively and nip at his heels to be the chief executive of Derbyshire if I, if I didn't do that, but I would never have had a summer holiday for, for my whole life. So, so, so that sort of made the decision for me. I think, the, you know, um, Mallorca in the summer in the Amalfi coast probably tipped it to be fair relative to, to, uh, to follow in a Derbyshire game, but yeah, absolutely. I would never say never, and I'd love to, you know, I'd love to stay in there and, and give something back effectively. Is there anything that you still really miss from your playing days? Uh, I, I think you miss the camaraderie. I think you miss the changing room. You know, as I said before, it's to think about life before the injury is very difficult. You know, I almost can't picture, it, which is sad, and um, so uh, you know, I can't really, I can't really compute that, but. but the team atmosphere and you know the, it's just it's very we're very lucky to have done what we did for the time for the for the period of time that that you know that we did it um you know because it's not really real life in all honesty <laughs> you know professional sport isn't it's an amazing thing to do and it's incredible that somebody wants to pay you to do it um and you're doing it for the fans and you know people care that you know everybody in that Derbyshire team cared they cared about their own performance you know when things didn't go well or you know, nobody went out onto that pitch and wanted to do badly, you know, and sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow when you're getting criticised and things like that. And I think if often you can try and put somebody else in your shoes and, and it can be an entitled position, don't get me wrong, but, you know, never did I go onto that pitch and not want to score you know, runs. You know, it was the thing that I was trying, you know, it was the thing that more than anything I was I was trying to do. And, um, and yeah, we had some just some mega times. Um, and ultimately, we, you know, we won, a, we won some silverware, you know, which only, what, six teams in Derbyshire's 150 years of history, give or take, of, you know, have done. And, and to be a part of that, you know, was special. And, and I think in context, it was a monumental effort. You know, there's no two ways about it. it you know, I always talk about it being like a Leicester City because it was, you know, it was. You know, our wage bill was bottom. You know, the, when you looked at it, we were always sort of dogged as that county, you know, and, and, and we you know, we didn't believe that that was the case. And, and you know, it was amazing what those early wins did and then what confidence did, regardless of experience or who we were playing. It didn't, didn't, didn't make a difference. Everybody contributed throughout that se season, you know, and, and 
you look at the teams that were there at the time, Yorkshire, Hampshire, you know, Essex, you know, the victories that we had um, and the victory in the last game in Hampshire, you know, when we played them on TV all, all the four days, you know, it was, um, yeah, nobody can ever take that away from us. And, and it was a, a mercurial summer. It was, it was the Olympics, you know, there was a lot of things going, there was an amazing energy about it. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've got a piece of silverware to show for it. Um, you know, but, you know, it's the, it's the anecdotes really. And it's the stories, um, you know, that people are bothered about and the friendships that you make. You know, we've talked about some people on here, where's Durst and Dad and Rev, and, you know, I'm still close to, you know, uh, Shivnarai and Chanderpaul and people like that, um, you know, who I went to watch, I went to uh, Antigua to watch um, the test when Brian Laura got 400, you know, and Shiv was, he, he actually got dropped for that game, but it was in the touring party. And then you fast forward you know, to 2000. 13, 14, whatever it was, you know, and you, you, you're playing in the same team and you still, you still pinch yourself when you do that because they're still your idols and I still, you know, still do that today, you know, as he wishes my mum happy Mother's Day or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's still a surreal thing and that would have blown my, my dad's mind really, you know, it's a blessing, but, you know, and they're the stories and, and, and the things that, that you do miss, but we've got to carry that on and there's a reasonable old boys thing, but life is just so busy for everybody now, isn't it? You know, it's not out of, um, you know, people not avoiding each other. They've just got so much going on in their own lives that it's difficult to, to bring everybody together. But, you know, 10 years next year, frighteningly, since we won. And, and I think it's definitely an occasion to, to celebrate and bring everybody back together, have a good laugh, you know, sink a few beers and, you know, make the most of it. That 2012... Division Two Championship win. If there was a a Tom Point and highlights DVD, would that be slot one on it? Yeah, I think I think it would do. Yeah, and obviously you know scoring a hundred at North Hants, um, you know because batting was you know like wicket keeping was my strength really. I was of that old school, you know. Carl Prickham, you know, been my um, coach and mentor for, and, and for years. Um, you know, and, and I've done some work with Bob Taylor and the like, you know, but they were always wicket keepers that batted. And obviously the change, step change that happened was that you were, a bat, you know, you needed to offer, you know, at least average 30, um, you know, really to, to, to justify your place. Um, you know, and, and things were going pretty, you know, 2012, I contributed, you know, I think I probably averaged 30. And, and in 2013, in Division One, you know, I was reasonably pleased. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was tough going up there, the attacks, you know, there was some serious pressure. Um, you know, there's more depth in the attacks and I think we perhaps underestimated, you know, the, the step, but we got so close, you know, we look at some of the wins. I look at that. They were, that was our best cricket, you know, the division two uh, win was amazing, but some of our best cricket was played towards the second half of that 2013 season winning it. Sussex, you know, with an incredibly young side, Matt Eggingbottom, Peter Burgoyne, Alex Hughes, I think, making his debut. And we were beating Luke Wright, you know, this star-studded Sussex style, you know, I'll be honest, I don't, I've not got a lot of time for Sussex, but, uh, but you know, we put, we put it up in their backyard, you know, in Hove, and, and then we went to Surrey, oh, sorry, then we went to Somerset, you know, we beat Somerset away from home, you know, on an absolute Bunsen burner with uh, Jack Leach and uh, Pius Chawler and you know, Craig Keysbetter and Marcus Trescothic and, you know, we had a young side and we beat them, you know, we beat them again. And then we got to Surrey, you know, and it was a, it was an, it was a touch and go game. And, and 
you know, it's, it was, um, that was some of our best cricket really, you know, and that was some of the best cricket that I played in. Um, and it was just a shame that we, you know, the margins were so, the margins were so fine. We were slow out the blocks. Um, I think we played on some pitches that weren't really conducive to our style of cricket. Um, but, you know, they're, they're the margins and it was obviously, it's tough to get back up once you, you know, once you're down, it's very, very tough to stay up there. And, um, but yeah, what an amazing, what an amazing experience. I always look, Tom, for something that people did once in their cricketing career. You just mentioned you scored one first-class 100 at North Ants. Do you remember who you brought it up against or off? I was trying, I was trying to think who it was. I don't think it was David Willey. Was it Stephen Crook? You know who it is. I, I, I think it was Stephen Crook, yeah. I think it was Stephen Crook, yeah. I'd always done pretty well at Wanted Road, actually. I'd scored a few second-team hundreds there, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a good day. You get good value for runs. Um, and obviously, it was it was a world record, a near world record partnership um, with Wayne Madsen. Which, I mean, I didn't even get the, the ironic thing is I didn't even get the Derbyshire record because it's like one of the most longest standing world records or something. The Derbyshire pair in nineteen hundred, you know, scored two hundred eighty or something. And so that's the that's the funny thing. I think it's something like the third highest of all time. But ironically, it's held by a Derbyshire pair, so that was a bit of a that was a bit of a damn squib. Um, but um, but no, and to share it with Madders, you know, who again is a close friend, such a wonderful guy, such a wonderful player, and ambassador for Derbyshire. You know, to, he got a double hundred. Um, you know, I felt for Northants. You know, I, I think we had a night watchman. Or I batted one place down, I think, and um, you know, you're going in at two hundred and fifty for eight or whatever it is and you think oh quick bang bang and we'll, you know, we'll be in here you know and, and I think we ended up with 500 and plenty or whatever um, and again it was an, you know it was an important game in in that season as was Yorkshire when we played them away when you know Kawaja you know put up a you know a good defence and got us through and and yeah it was you know it was, an, it was an amazing experience particularly when that had been batting had been sort of the thing that you know, not had held me back in my career, but it was what was defining my career, really. You know, at that point in time, as I was, a, you know, physically able, you know, I backed myself to be one of the, the better glovemans in the country in terms of my movement and things like that. Um, but batting was obviously the thing that was, was going to define my selection. So to get it was, you know, was really sweet and ultimately is, you know, probably my proudest personal cricket in the moment, um, you know, aside of the team, team achievement. The other thing I always look for when I ever interview a wicketkeeper is I don't think there's anyone who takes more joy in, t- in taking a, a wicket. You took two, two first-class wickets. Yeah. Are, are they living long in your memory? Who, who uh, were they? Absolutely. Um, Mark Cosgrove, international, international wicket. Um, and um, blessing Tom Maynard, who was obviously no longer with us, but we you know was a stellar player, really. Um and it was just very fun. It was just very funny. Um, Glamorgan obviously was the game. Um, bit of declaration bowling to, you know, to set up a game. And um, Wes Durston took the gloves. <laughs> I was just dropping. You know, I fancy myself in the nets. You know, I've been there, just rolled a few out, you know, dropped them on a length or whatever. And you get the occasional wicket. Um, I think when um, 
Stewie, I can remember when Stewie Law came and I nicked him off or something once in the, perhaps he didn't nick it, perhaps it was just my imagination, but, you know, <laughs> and, the, you know, I dropped this ball. I can remember Cosgrove. It was almost like it wasn't real or happening. And I just dropped this ball down to Cosgrove and he whacked it straight to Cheswick mid-wicket and just caught it. And I was like, oh my God, I've got a wicket. <laughs> What's going on? You know, and I thought, oh God. Next thing, you know, I've just thrown one down to be whacked into the river taff or whatever it is. And, um, Maynard's miscued one. You know, he's gone up to, he's gone up to, uh, to mid-off, I think, and been caught. And I can remember Dan Redfern, that I, there was always a photo that uh, Dave Griffin took. I was doing like the Usain Bolt pose or something. It was because I got better first-class figures than Dan at that point in time, and he was spewing about it. He was not happy about it. But uh, yeah, two for 96, I think, of eight overs. So we won't look at the economy rate. But but yeah, no, it's good. it was it was, you know, it was good fun. I can't even get my I can't even get the ball down 22 yards now, which is the sad thing. It's, like, it's shocking. And don't ask me to bowl, you know, the bowl at the moment. You mentioned there like a funny, funny moments. Is there something for you that if I was to say to you, Tom, what was the funniest moment that you've ever been involved in cricket? Is there some A that's you know trans transmissible? And B, what what would that be for you? Well, I suppose, you know, I was I was the wicketkeeper in the Summit run out, I suppose. That was the <laughs> that was the one that's done the rounds. I don't know how many times. It's gone viral on YouTube. I don't know. I don't it, it just resurfaces uh, now and again. And um and yeah, I cop a bit of stick because at the time knots were plenty for non-down and we were in the pump and I just smashed off stump out the ground when I caught the ball. <laughs> so it gets I normally get the thing, you know, the wicketkeeper's an absolute so-and-so or whatever, you know. Whatever. But little did they know we've been in the dirt for God knows how long watching Samets and 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 uh, James Taylor Titch smack it to all parts. So um, yeah, that was quite a funny moment. We we used to you know in the slip cordon and things like that. We used to you know come up with things to put batsmen off, and you know there were some really funny things. Um, that's, you know not slaves or anything like that, but you, you're always looking at different people's characters and. Um, yeah, trying to pick them apart or take their attention and, and things like I can remember in that North Ants game, the first game in 2012, Jimin Davask, obviously came, he was playing and he came, I think Guppy probably retired him early on when he whacked him onto the marquee about third ball of the game or something like that. And it was about three degrees at Derby under lights. And I, I think that probably retired him. But um, I can remember him coming in when the lights were on. He came in like the Michelin man with about four jumpers on because it was that cold. And we used to do, a, you know, the stupid thing like, oh, you know, the, well, the other the floodlight gone out up there or whatever, you know, to try to take his attention. You know, he's looking into this light or whatever. So it's, yeah, just stupid, stupid anecdotes like that. But the summit one would have been the would have been the main one, I think. And um, there's some funny ones off the pitch, but obviously I can't probably I can't probably go into those. One one of my many cricketing kind of obsessions, Tom, is squad numbers. And in my head, everyone picks their squad number because some deep, significant meaning. And the more and more I do this podcast, the more and more people go, no, 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 I was just giving it. <laughs> you wore 23 for Derbyshire. Was it just given to you or did you choose it or does it have any significance to you? Well, I mean, it was, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, Shane Warne, you know, it was uh, numerous other successful, David Beckham. And I just got given it, which was, <laughs> which, was the, which was the best part. And now I think at the time when I came on the staff, it was literally 
it was like number 19, I think might have been Redders actually, and then it was like no, 19, 21, 22, 20. I was the 23rd and that, and, and that was it. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't complaining and it became a significant number. You know, it was my, my favourite number thereafter. And obviously, you know, I sold it as Beckham, Warren, Jordan. I just didn't quite live up to, <laughs> live up to the, uh, the stature or the billing, unfortunately. But, but, uh, but no, it, you know, still cherish the shirts that I've got and, and you know, I, I wore them proudly and I, and I retain them, you know, as, as prayer. You mentioned there the shirts you've got. You mentioned earlier the, the BCCI tie and the, the shirt signed by Donny. I'm a massive sort of cricket memorabilia collector for someone who's never played sport above kind of or cricket above village level. I, I love just collecting sort of memorabilia. Do you have stuff from your playing days up around the house? Was it hidden away or given away? If I was to come around for a, a, a beer, would I would I know as I walked in that Tom Point was an ex-professional cricketer? Uh, you wouldn't, but only because I need to do it. It's, it's the honest answer. It's one of the things that I've got a handful of shirts um, that I've got, you know, ready ready to be framed, and I am going to have, you know, I'm going to have them framed. Um, you know, and put somewhere, whether I put them in an office or something like that. Um, you know, we've got, we also had a, start, a shirt signed for the 2012 season. I got a stump and I got a medal. So I'm probably going to put them into one sort of yeah. display to have them all together. I got the Dhoni shirt, um, which is my, you know, it's, it's my shirt signed by MS Dhoni, you know, and so it's, that's quite a, you know, it's quite a unique thing to have. Um, and the guys that obviously played, I was really close to uh, Martin Gupta when he played. Um, he lived, you know, he lived with me uh, the second year, um, which was, you know, which was great. And I'm still keeping contact, you know, with him to this day. And um, Osman Kwaj are the same, really. Um, you know, there were two young lads of a similar sort of age towards similar interests. Um, myself, Ross Whiteley, um, and uh, Ozzy came to live with us and, and Martin came to live with us. So... I've got a couple of shirts from them with some expletives written on them, which, <laughs> you know, two Tom, whatever. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've got, you know, Chanda Paul and people like that. Yeah. You know, it's all, they're all special shirts and, and um, yeah, I'll, def I'll definitely put them up there to tell a story one day to somebody that's interested. <laughs> what, what advice would you give Tom to a, a young player starting out in the game now? What would you say to them? Ooh, um, you know, enjoy it and savour it really, you know, savour every last minute that you play because I think when everybody steps away, you know, unless you're 1% of people that go on to do other things or actually leave the game on their own terms, the 99% don't. And most, I think the average age to retire or whatever is probably 25 and younger, probably, I'm, you know, possibly 26 that I see somewhere. You know, so nobody really leaves the game on their own terms. And, and so you've got to savour every last minute opportunity that you get, but just enjoy it, you know, because at times it can, as I referred to, it could become a bit a bit serious and you get wrapped up in it. And I, and I think it is a game at the end of the day. You know, whilst it means a lot to a lot of people, you know, it is a game. And actually when, you know, you, you step out into real life and you know the pressures, uh, um, you know, you, you realise how lucky you were to do it for such a long period of time with great friends, um, and yeah, and just throw yourself, just throw yourself into it. And, and you've got to be three, you know, you've got to be a three-dimensional player these days. That, and that's what sort of evolved as even during my time. You know, it was to score 360, it was to be able to reverse sweep, it was to be able to scoop, you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't do that. You know, I was and you can you, you soon start to 
you know, teams can set up against you effectively. You know, if you could, you know, if I can only score in the V, you know, and, and I can only hit mid on or mid off, and that's my strength. Well, you know, at the end of a game, teams know that you're going to do that. If I could, if I could have, you know, knocked a little scoop on, all of a sudden, you know, they've got they've got something to think about. You know, and I, and I think you've got to broaden your skill set. You've got to try everything. You know, and you've just got to, you know, nothing is a substitute for work ethic. Um, but just throw yourself in one million percent. You know, there's a lot of distractions around. There's a lot of noise around, um, you know, but just commit and enjoy it. What about someone coming towards the end of the career, you know, maybe mid-30s, last couple of years of the contract or last year of the contract? What what advice would you give to them having come out of the game? Be proactive, you know, take ownership of, of your situation. Um Again, cricket's got the highest suicide rate out of any sport. Isn't it? I, th- I think I think it's a, you know, it's known as a champagne lifestyle on a beer budget historically, and and I know that rewards and contracts and um, you know potential remuneration is probably better than it's ever been, even for youngsters. Um, but you you've got to take ownership of it. You know that day is coming. What is there's one definite <laughs> with playing is that it's going to come to an end. You know it's just at what point it comes to an end, really. You know, and as I said, 99% of people don't leave on their own terms, you know, so, you know, you've got to be real, you know, you've got to be real to that and you've got to prepare for it. And, you know, did the lot, you know, young lads go home now after training and just play Call of Duty or whatever, you know, you've got to take ownership of, of doing that. It's very difficult to give somebody perspective though. You know, that was what this piece, when I did the work with the PCA and, you know, how do you give perspective to somebody? You can't, but it hits you in the face when you finish and you think, God, I wish I on that afternoon or the, the time that I committed to actually do something. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, find something, as I said earlier on, that you enjoy. If that's a trade, if that's the building industry, if it's being an architect, if it's sitting in an office, if it's whatever it is, you've got to put yourself out there to do it. There's time in the winter to do it. You know, but nobody's going to do it for you. And they're also not going to give you, not going to hand you something out at the end that's parallel. You know, if you stay in cricket and you do a coaching job, you know, great, you know, great or an umpiring job or whatever it is. Um, you know, but if not, you've got to put the odds and to get another qualification because you've got a whole working life ahead of you thereafter. You know, most people will finish at 30. You've got, you got another 30 years of your working life, you know, at least. And, um, you know, so, you know, don't, don't be naive to the fact that that day is coming, but, you know, you, you, you're just sensible and prudent to, to, put, to put that effort in. And ultimately, I think it helps you cricket. You know, it definitely helps you cricket. I think it gives you confidence that cricket is not the only thing, you know, and that's what I think can build up for some people. I think it can be, you know, everything is reliant on that. You know, I think if you add another string to your bow, you know, if that was to go, you know what, it's not the end of the world. There's something else I can fall back on, something else is going to apply myself to, you know, and, and you can fall into it. Um, you know, so that, you know, that's what I'd say. Be proactive and, and they couldn't receive more support. They've got an amazing organisation in the PCA who will help facilitate, you know, but they can only facilitate what you're willing to put your own time and effort and energy into, you know, into doing. And then so last question from me, Tom, is it's the utopia question. What what's the secret to a, a happy retirement from playing cricket? Oh, it's just <laughs> secret to a happy life. Uh, um, like I said, finding something you enjoy at the end of the day, you know, to get up in the morning, 
you know and apply yourself in a working day you, you need to you know you need to enjoy it um and you need to find a you know a contentness within yourself really don't you i think it's being honest i've always sort of looked within myself to ask myself some tough questions and analyze myself and um you know and i think people have got whatever way or means by which people do that i think they've got to find a bit of peace and a bit of contentness in their own you know in in their own self that's you know that's it when i look to a utopia that's what i see because there's a for everybody there's a lot going on between these set of ears and it doesn't matter you can be the richest man in the world or the poorest man in the world you know i think having sort of a a, a gratitude and things like that um for the simple or smallest things can you know can help effectively and you know look i've you know some ways i'm fortunate but in other ways i can't share my life with the person that i want to share it with you know so you know i'd see people that pine after having money and material things but jesus christ when you have a you know a life-changing experience or a potentially near-death experience um you know all of a sudden i think you ask yourself a different set of questions and the material nature of it doesn't even come close to it or or you know the, the having lots of money doesn't come close to it really you know it's who you've got around you support network um your family um you know and, and creating as many memories that you can with those individuals because that's all essentially that that everybody's left with you know and crack on and create your own thereafter the strength resolve and fortitude that tom has shown since that fateful day has been incredible to lose not only your father but also your career and have it all played out in the public eye must have been so difficult the fact that he's come through that and come through it so successfully is one of the reasons I admire Tom and everything he's done. The company that he discussed, Baron and Grant Investment Management, has launched this last week, and he should be very proud of all the work he's put into that too. Next time, we meet a player who represented Essex, a bustling all-rounder who could bowl over 90 miles an hour, plus clear the ropes with the bat. He featured in the IPL, having shot to prominence in the format after scoring 152 of just 58 balls, including a mammoth 16 sixes. Since then, he's followed in the footsteps of previous guest Don Topley and is now Director of Cricket at the Royal Hospital School in Suffolk. So join me next time on the Back to the Brilliant podcast as we welcome Graham Napier. That's all from me for today. Be kind, take care of yourselves and others. Bye-bye for now.